Welcome to the Christian Marauder. Have you ever wondered what does the future hold? How will things turn out? When will all this craziness that we see around us finally end? With that, we're going to look at these and more as we wrap up our study in the book of Revelations, the very last chapter, chapter 22 today. Let me say this. This will be a bare-bone video, and you will need your Bible as we explore Revelations chapter 22. You need to look up these verses as well. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. With that, let's turn to Revelations 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. With that, let's unpack what this means. The phrase, then he showed me a river of, of the water of life, is actually seen in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, as well as Zechariah here. In the book of Psalms, we see it in Psalms 46, verse 4, where it says, There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. This river flows from the very throne of God, okay? And let's look at Zechariah chapter 14 verse 8 says this, And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall be, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Next, the biblical metaphor for pure or living water often refers to how God abundantly supplies salvation, deliverance, spiritual blessings, guidance, supplies insight, how he, how he restores life. It also refers to the filling of the fruit and the spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit in full, in abundance. In verse 2, the textual context seems to indicate it is a state of healing from all rejection, all abandonment, all neglect, and living without hope in this world. It's all healed and done away with. In other words, you are healed to live in the full manifest presence of God in an Eden-like state with no more devil or evil ever to manifest again. In other words, we are restored into what we would say is a divine council or a heavenly council position like we had in Eden before the fall. Next, we see the waters flowing from the presence of God and his throne. In fact, this is also seen in Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 and 2. I'm just going to summarize these verses for you and read one verse out of it because it's just too much to read. Verses 1 through 5 out of Ezekiel 47 describe how deep and wide the river of life is, and it describes it as 1,000 cubits wide. That's a very wide river. Verses 4 through 6 describes that there are many trees on either side of the river, various types of trees on either side of the river. Verses 7 and 11 mentions how the river flowed to all compass points of the world, and it healed the fish to see. Okay, just telling you that's what it says. Now look at Ezekiel 47:12. I'm just going to quote it for you out of the New King James. Along the bank of the river on this side and that, Grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for medicine. Get that, their leaves for medicine. In fact, this matches what we see in Revelation chapter 22, verse 2. The next verse says, In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were used for the healing of the nations. Get that. The leaves were used for the healing of the nations. Let's unpack what this means and what this symbolizes here. Because that's how I do a study. I look at everything. I look at the commentaries. And I also look at the traditional way it's studied. But I also know how to 
uh, from experience here that we need to apply symbols and signs and what these things mean, how they're described in other parts of the Bible, how it all connects together. So I hope you're enjoying the study in Revelation because that's what I'm doing here. Okay, with that, let's look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Let's go back to Revelation 21, verse 4. It says there will be no more death. Just That's what it says. Just that one phrase out of that verse, there will be no more death. Thus, this verse is maybe looking back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, which describes the probationary judgment period on human life being on average 70 to 120 years. All this ends with the healing of the nations. We now live forever with God, healed and restored. And you can rightly summarize that the last 50th Jubilee might be what is alluded here. Everything is restored as it was in the beginning, all sealed and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not our works at all, all what he did for us. Boy, you can trust somebody who did that, can you? And he gives us an inheritance incorruptible, a land restored to its original co-owners. Our sin debts are wiped out and clean. Next, as Revelations chapter 22, verse 2 says, this, listen how it matches Ezekiel here. On either side of the river was a tree of life. Did you catch that? On either side of the river. So is this one tree or two trees? The fact is, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain that. But the imagery going across 1,000 cubit foot wide river that Ezekiel saw, these leaves were draped over at least 1,000 cubits. And a lot of their leaves would be dipping into the water okay so you see the branches and their leaves dipping into the water just get that picture just as revelations chapter 22 verse 2 continues to point out the tree bore 12 fruits each tree yielding its fruit every month the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and this kind of confuses people but coming from where i grew up in virginia where i spent my summers uh, on my grandparents' farm, there wasn't a lot of doctors around or anything. And so what my grandmother did, um, we collected leaves for healing. We used plants. <laughs> I remember about everybody was down with a stomach ailment. So I gathered a lot of sassafras leaves and we boiled sassafras leaves. And we drank that. So the idea of using leaves for healing is nothing new. This is a metaphor that the people of that time and era would have known and seen. And we also use plant-based products for medicine today. We just refine it and condense it and, and, and all the healing properties in that. So the leaves were for the healing of the nations. And this describes Ezekiel 47 verse 12, where he wrote that the tree's fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. So what's being conveyed here, folks, is that the idea of the leaves being dipped in water to infuse the water to produce some sort of healing. So what type of healing are we looking at here? We are going to unpack that in just a minute here. Let's continue with verse 3 and find out. And it says in Revelation 22, verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will serve him so the healing here will have to involve being able to serve god with a pure heart just think about that for a second why because there will be no more curse the greek word here refers to accursed ones i bet you didn't know that there shall be no more accursed ones 
So that's why we're going to have true healing. Imagine a world for a second without no AOCs, no Schumers, no uh, Boris Johnsons, no Justin Trudeaus, no wacky politicians screwing things up, no Klaus Schwab's, no accursed ones. Hallelujah. Screwing everything up for power and power. Boy, I tell you, that would be a grand world. I just can't wait till we get to heaven and all these things are taken care of. Woe to those people if they don't repent, boy, I'm telling you. But man, wouldn't it be great if we did not have any accursed ones, no fallen angels or fallen watchers around to screw things up? Guess what? That's the future. That's what it holds for us. Let's continue. Next part of verse 3 says this, And the servants will serve him. The word servant here means a voluntary servant who loved God. It is a relational, like how a child serves and helps his loving, kind parents. That's the idea behind that word. This is not slavery, as the Luciferians and Satanism try to suggest that God wants to suppress you, and he's all about control. Well, actually, the devil is mirroring himself onto God and trying to convince you that God is like he is and that he is like God, but he is the one who wants to cancel culture, cancel speech, repress people, and kill people. Just think about that. Well, the Bible tells us we are God's adopted children who will help manage the new heavens and earth. We will be the people of his own household that are purchased by the blood of Jesus, and we will have very enjoyable tasks to do. Why? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Let's unpack that verse in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. They'll see his face, we'll see his presence, and his name. The name, like I said, implies one's character traits. And the word forehead symbolizes an all, a lot of different things and means different things in the Bible. To be stubborn, hard-hearted is one meaning, and another meaning is one's devotion is forever fixed. Your mind is set like a flint. You heard that expression? That's the idea. Here, in this verse, it means one's devotion is forever fixed in one's mind to shine and manage things in accordance to God's character traits, which are identified in the Bible as the fruit of the Holy Spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, righteousness, truth, and doing what is acceptable in the Lord's eyes, okay? So you are going to be living that way. Your mind is set that way voluntarily folks because you learned your lessons of what we've learned in this life why because we learned the lesson of what rebellion sin and all that stuff has done we've been sealed by the holy spirit we'll never do it again okay just trust me on that okay because this is the way we want to live how many of you would like to live by love joy peace long-suffering kindness uh, goodness faithfulness patience gentleness self-control righteousness truth and doing what is acceptable to the Lord. If we all live like that, do you think, um, what, what do you think it would be like? Okay. So with that, I want to share with you all on something that I don't talk much about, but I feel like I have permission. And what's that? You know, most of you know that I had an after-death experience, and I don't like to boast a lot in that or say that I'm somebody great because of it, because I am certainly not. I was saved by God's grace alone, and, and I should even be here, and I know that. So I live my life forever grateful to the Lord that I am allowed to come back. So I, 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 
I owe Jesus my life. That's all I got to say. And um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sold out to him. And I just pray that only he can keep me on track, keep me in line. He's the only one. My whole reliance is upon him and not myself. And it's not because I had some uh, after-death experience that makes me a great person. And along with that comes responsibility. And as I was um, learning about all this stuff and trying to decipher and learning what happened to me, reading in the Bible you know, from, uh, I would say, 1981 to 1983-ish in that area, you know, I was a basket case, got to say it. But the Lord allowed me a vision of heaven or I was translated there. I actually believe I was translated to heaven, had an or an open vision to heaven. Now, don't get freaked out. I don't talk about this too much for one reason, because some of the um, things you see up there, you can't really talk about. And why? Because they are things about God's character traits. You just can't express them. You try to, you do an injustice. And I, I would say it's unlawful to, not because they're bad or anything. People would take advantage of them. That's what would happen. It's like the secret things of heaven about God's character traits. And people would take advantage of that. And you don't want to go that direction. So I'm not ever going to talk about those things. But there are a few things that he allowed me to share. And my testimony about heaven is quite different than a lot of other people's uh, on, on heaven. I don't have any new revelation to come back. And uh, I'll just tell you about it real briefly. There is parts of it online but for you i'll just give you a condensed reader's digest version i was serving in a church and we had a long night of like three or four days of revival meetings and it was sunday night and i thought it would end i thought we only have five baptisms instead of the 30 to 40 to 50 that we were having in those days and so i was wrong we had about 30 baptisms i didn't get out of there until about one o'clock i lived about an hour outside of the town where I lived and I lived in the sticks you can call it, out in the prairie land there and so it took me about an hour to get home it was late I had to get up about five in the morning and so and get ready to go to work and get to work by a certain time and 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 I was in a foul 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 mood I was not spiritual I was in an angry cantankerous mood so I got to bed I had my dog there and everything got things settled down the dog fed and all that I had to apologize oh dog I'm so sorry I didn't feed you in time you know how dogs are but glad to get a, their belly full and so I'm sitting there and I'm it's late I guess should I stay up all night or should I try to get to sleep so I tried to go to sleep I laid on my back I had my alarm set next to me and my dog at the foot of the bed and the room I literally kid you not lit up bright brilliant white and i heard a voice saying awake arise stand to your feet and i said shut up i need sleep i gotta get up in the morning and i thought i was dreaming and I, I i startled myself i wasn't dreaming my dog was very happy wagging her tail this happened two other times with the same thing i did the same thing so i was not in a holy mood but the third time i thought whoops this is kind of funny when it happened a third time i said when it stopped, I said, oh, no, I missed the rapture. I, so I lived in actual um, a trailer at that time in, in, in the middle of the prairie. And so I opened up the, the side door and I said, oh, I missed the rapture. And I, I was thinking that. And so my um, dog was very happy. Then I heard a still quiet voice. And I know it's the Lord. If you ever heard the Lord's real voice, you understand it. Like Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And he, and he just said quietly, uh, do, do you remember how you left before? And I said, yes. So I got on my back, laid on my bed, and boom, I was gone. You say it was an open vision or whatever. 
but next thing I knew I traveled through this dark void going toward the light just like I was first time I saw I was being judged this time I was going home I never felt such uh, hmm, I was going home <laughs> well wow, that means something to me I was going home and um, and so this time he allowed me to see a glimpse of heaven in this I will say this I was not allowed to speak to one person I saw they could say things but I could not respond or communicate with them it was absolutely verboten but forbidden in a good sense and it came through one of the pearly gates I came into what I call the grand field of reunions my nickname for it were all um, everybody's tears are wiped away and all animosities are dealt with all angerness bitterness is gone it's like wiped clean and all of a sudden you are reunited with loved ones and there was one gentleman who came through kind of like behind me or, or off to my side there he came through the gate and he saw his dad and i knew instantly i can't explain it that his uh he and his dad did not get along his dad wasn't a christian he tried to witness to him his dad cussed him out and he got mad at him and said i'll never talk to you again and he, he walked away he never saw his dad never went to visit him when he was dying of cancer and now he's in, in heaven and there's dad his dad says i forgive you i remember your words and Jesus saved me, and they embraced, and there was no more animosity. So that's why I call it a, a, a field of reunion, because it brought a lot of healing. I saw some amazing things. I saw people who lost little kids, little tykes, like stillborns, or even even abortion. You know, just, just listen, and, and these people would come in, they're saved people, and they can't do what, undid what they did in the past, and they can't help it. And, or they lost a child through an accident or, or something like that and they're saved and here they are they see their child or their baby crawling toward them and they grow up into a human being and say mom dad we got all eternity here and it was like healing it healed the people's heart the guilt that people had which is totally erased i love that field of reunion it was a great place and when I entered into heaven, it was like a, a land of liquid love, but it's not the love that uh, you think, nor is it the love that um, some churches talk about. And there's another thing that I saw, folks, in heaven that was totally astounding in this land of liquid love. I can't really explain the depths of God's love. I don't think anybody can. But this place that I saw in heaven, I rarely mention it in some of my testimonies because it was so awe-inspiring. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. I still can see it in my mind. I can still see this place. So let me share with you what that was. Well, I, we came to this place, and I, it was like I was standing on the periphery of a great garden. It's the only way I can describe it. And the most beautiful garden I ever saw. And there were an innumerable company of angels and human beings gathered around this place. Okay, and down far, it looked like the middle, I can't even describe it, there was a brilliant, beautiful light emanating, and I knew it was the Lord, however, there were four creatures. The angle that I was, I only saw three, but there were four, you just know those things, and it seems like they were um, covering the brilliant light, but it still was able to shine through. I know that doesn't make sense to you, but this was so beautiful, and I was all struck by it. This was a garden. It was gorgeous. This was the most beautiful spot I've ever seen in heaven, and all the myriads of angels were gathered around, and... I, at, 
I was so awestruck I couldn't understand it. So years and years and years later have passed and finally something reminded me of what I saw. So now, folks, why did I even bother mentioning these two things about what I saw in heaven and bring up my heaven testimony? I can assure you it's not to make myself out to something great. So with that, let me tell you uh, why I bring these up. First reason is, uh, like Revelations 21 verse 4 says, God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. All things are made right in the new heavens and earth. Wow, that is great to go through that field of reunion in the current heaven. But man, I can only imagine what the new heavens and earth is going to be like when people up there are healed of their garbage, okay? Well, the second reason that I'm telling you all these things is that but a few short years ago, Dr. Michael Heiser appeared on Skywatch TV, and he started talking about the Divine Council. And I always call it the Heavenly Council, but he calls it the Divine Council. And he mentioned that it was in a garden, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. That's what I saw. I saw the Heavenly Council. There's no, no other way I can put it. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And the light emanated the very uh, goodness of God. And um, it was so astoundingly be beautiful. And um, just, 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 just a second, folks. Um, I'm going to pause this for a second here. I got to collect myself. <clears throat> Boy, folks, I tell you, it's kind of hard to, when I re realize how beautiful this place is. And the reason I bring this up now is because of what it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3 and 4, since we're studying it. Not to make myself out or anything, but listen to what it says here, and only what the Bible says. And there will be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants will serve him, or shall serve him. His servants will serve him. We are part of that divine heavenly council. We're going to help the Lord manage and take care of the new heavens and earth. Adam failed. Humanity failed. In Okay, and through Jesus Christ, all things are restored. Oh, if only you knew the goodness of God that I saw up there. Oh, if only I could convey it to you somehow. And then it says in verse 4 here, And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Oh my, oh my, the new heavens and earth are going to be a blast. Again, I gotta stop and pause and pick this up because I gotta collect myself again when I when I remember this. Um, wow, I want to go back so bad, but I know I have um things I gotta do. It's just the memory of this place is so. Um, I I, I gotta pause. I'm sorry. Just judge my experience with what the Bible teaches. I'm not gonna get in a lot of details. I know people will give me some hate mail on that, but I can't shake it because I saw heaven. With that, let's continue Revelation 22, verse 5. And there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And like I said, the current heaven, the light comes from the Lord, okay? And then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. So with that, what is to be shortly taking place? Well, Jesus is coming. Look at verse 7. It says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. 
Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's unpack those verses here. For example, the Lord will give them light. A lot of symbols for light, okay? Light can be wisdom, it could be insight, it could be intelligent, and it means life-giving light that helps you grow and nurture and be your own person. The Bible in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 3 and 4, talk about becoming the plantings of the Lord, trees of righteousness. That's the idea of light. The trees need the light of God to live a righteous and holy life. That's what it's talking about, the light. It produces, you're like a planting of the Lord, and you live righteous. The old spelling helps me understand what righteousness means. It's right-wiseness, doing what is right with an intelligent wisdom about it, okay, of knowing who God is, okay, and who, who you are, too. And you're all healed up inside, and you stay on the straight and narrow. So that's the kind of idea about the righteousness here. Now, Satan, on the other hand, uses illumination now. Just, just let me try to explain this another type of illumination to mimic God's light and give you secret wisdom, secret doctrine, secret this, so you can make a fortune off of it. Just keep track of me. We're going to come back to that line of thought because it talks about this shortly after these verses here. And so then he says, these words are faithful and true. Like I said, when the Lord speaks, his words are faithful and they're true and they'll come about in his time. And the Lord God of the Holy Prophets sent his angel, his messenger that was speaking to John, to show his servants, us, the things which will shortly take place. And what is shortly taking place is in verse 7, Behold, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Well, quickly, the word quickly, translated from a Greek, means swiftly and suddenly. So you can actually say this, Behold, I'm coming swiftly suddenly and swiftly that helps explain what that means doesn't it when you go oh and quickly means oh he's coming anytime no he's coming suddenly and swiftly therefore jesus is coming swiftly and suddenly which lines up with what jesus himself said in matthew chapter 24 verse 42 watch therefore for you do not know the hour your lord is coming Bible interprets Bible. Matthew 24, verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 24, verse 50. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and an hour he is not aware of. Luke 21, verse 34. But take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, cares of this life, and that day comes upon you unexpectedly. That's all out of the New King James. So, what's being shown to John here just might mean that Jesus is coming without warning swiftly and suddenly, as he said in Luke chapter 21, verse 35, where he says, For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Okay? And you get the picture here. Next, the Greek word, keep, that's used in the text here, means to keep your eyes fixed upon, to watch, to observe attentively to guard, to obey, to keep looking for the fulfillment of prophecy. Modernized, this means you also unpack it. This lines up with what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, 28. Now when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Verse 36 of Luke 21. Watch therefore and pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. 
So, to guard and protect the words of this prophecy means you are guarding it, you're obeying it, you're watching for it, you're observing it, your eyes are fixed upon it, okay? And you're looking at Bible prophecy, trying to figure it out and unpack it. That's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to teach Bible prophecy, especially in churches, but they, they ignore that injunction. So the study of Bible prophecy, again, is important. And I got to tell you, the reason why people do not uh, teach Bible prophecy is because there's a lot of wacky Bible teachers out there and wacky doctrines that come out of Bible prophecy. Despite this, the Lord wants us to study Bible prophecy, to guard it, to protect it from the whack jobs and know the right ways and the wrong ways to study Bible prophecy as well as look so you can understand the times because he is coming swiftly and suddenly, but he gives you some indications that times are going to get really, really rough and a lot of people are going to fall away and, and they're going to be basically... Um, it's not going to be pretty. So sort of like what we're seeing today on a worldwide scale indicates that there's something prophetic going on. Next in verse 8, the subject matter suddenly changes. So let's look. Revelations 22 verses 8 and 9. And it says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things. When I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And the angel, then he said to me, See that you do not do that. That's verse 9. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Okay. First thing is, angels will not allow you to worship them. The true angels of God are only sent to do a minister, a task, and then they leave. They don't hang out. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that pops a lot of people's bubbles. Um, I'm sorry that Alice Bailey has influenced the church with angel encounters. She talked about this. She called it something else, uh, making contact with their spirit guides. So people are having angel encounters, and, and they say, you don't really need the Bible. You need to go beyond the anointing. you got to get in touch, and you got to take trips to heaven. you got to meet your spirit guy, get your angels working for you, command them to pick up that bar, lift that bell, you know, join this and do that. And, well... That's called the worship of angels, and Paul says not to worship angels. And so here, a true angel of God is going to stop you from doing that. They're sent on their task and all that. Now, can we ask God to send forth angels in our prayers? Yes, you most certainly can. This is what I've been done ever since my heaven experience here, is what I've learned from seeing heaven. This is why I'm bringing it back. Not as some type of an authority figure, but you can figure out what I say if it's true or not. Okay? You can ask the Lord to send forth angels, but I always ask the Lord, you tell them what to do because I most certainly can't. I need them for this area of my life. I need protection. I really need protection for our household. We need that. And, and, and you said, um, Lord, that uh, keep us far from the evil one, so we need some angels for that purpose. And you tell them where they need to go and do. Amen. I leave it at that. I let the, let the Lord tell the angels what to do. I don't command angels to dance for me, okay? So, because it's very dangerous to go to an astral projection state thinking you're contacting some spirit guy who hangs out with you and, and you're going to find out is a fallen watcher masquerading as an angel of light and you can't, uh, it will 
mess with your head big time. So that's why those verses are there. The uh, only person you can worship is the Lord your God and serve him. You don't serve angels, okay? Because a lot of people go, they, oh, I'm not serving the angel. The angel's serving me. Oh, yeah, right. If that angel leaves, you're not going to have your healing anointing, uh, your finance anointing, your breaker anointing. Will you? So you actually are, in essence, serving an angel. And you need to fall on your face and ask God for mercy and forgiveness and ask him to send some real angels and get rid of this bad sucker. I'm just telling you. Don't, you don't want to listen to me? Fine. I, I, I do know what I'm talking about. I know how seductive fallen angels are. I mean, I encountered them in hell, you know, and um, in a certain area. I talked about it in my testimony that I've seen on the Daily Renegade and also in some of my other videos. I talked about that and that deep, dark place that I wasn't allowed to go. I only about 300 yards from it. Some of these big uh, angels were chained to. And uh, the ambience they project, you have no idea how sexually seductive in the mind that they can be and, and seduce you to all kinds of ideas thinking you're following God. Man, you need the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to rise up in you and cut that junk out. That's all I got to say and, and, and tell you, you can, um, uh, you know, a real angel of God is not going to be rebuked by you. They'll do their task, and they're gone. That's usually the way it is. They have a certain task, and they leave. And it's usually rather quick. But I'm not going to talk no more about angels on this. I'll keep talking. Maybe another message about angels. Okay? And so this angel said, Do not do that. Don't, don't bow and worship me. For I'm your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets. Guess what? John the Apostle was a prophet. I bet you didn't know that. Why is he called a prophet? He gave you this book. The last book of the Bible. No more. Add it to the Bible here. Okay? Just just keep tracking with me. And those who keep the words of the book. So, we're servants. We watch. We try to put the, together. We ask the Lord to give us insight. Are, are we living in the end times yet or not? All these other people said we did back in the 60s, whatever. No, we are now really in a worldwide heap of hurt right now. We're heading toward a new world order. Everything that the Bible talks about, the rise of the Antichrist, is about to be unfolded before our eyes, lest the Lord intervenes, okay? And he says, do not seal the words of this book means, in other words, don't seal them shut. What is, why is that? He wants people to unpack it, to study it, to grasp it. If it's sealed, like, for example, there is this place in the book of Revelation where it talks about uh, the seven thunders being sealed shut. So nobody can know a thing about what the seven thunders are. They're sealed. You can speculate what they are, but you can't say, thus saith the Lord, this is what it means. Not at all. Okay, you're tracking with me? But don't seal the book of Revelation. Let people digest it, unpack it. Let the Holy Spirit guide and teach them. Sort out the wheat from the chaff from it, from the flakes, from the wackos, and the nuts and the flakes, from the real people who are actually looking at the book and studying it and, and getting something out of it. So that's why a lot of the commentaries are great to use because they keep you on track. But don't deny the metaphors used here, the symbols and what certain things mean, even the biblical numbers that are used in it. Don't discount that. It gives you more understanding about what is being said in a unique way. And also lines up with other parts of the Bible. It's an amazing thing. 
So by learning from the Holy Spirit, God's word exposes the heart, okay? Especially when it comes to unpacking prophecy. It separates, like I said, the wheat from the chaff. Don't believe me? Look at verse 11. He was unjust, let him be unjust still. He was filthy, let him be filthy still. He was righteous, let him be righteous still. He was holy, let him be holy still. Okay? What he's saying here? Um, the God's word, all of it, from the book of Revelations to Genesis, goes out to separate the wheat and the chaff. Okay? The sower is the, you know, sows the seed. The seed is the word of God. The word of God separates the true wheat from the chaff. In the world, it's the saved and the unsaved. In the church, it's the saved and the unsaved in the church. Just think of it like that. Two groups of people being mentioned here. Because the word of God separates, cuts through the heart. With God in his word that issues forth and grants us a choice before we ever had a choice. Because if he never spoke, we would never have a choice to return to him. Just think about that. God created a choice to return to him. And he created the means to for us to make it too. In this, he proves that he's just and good to all, despite foreknowing who will return to him and who will not far in advance before any of us were ever born. He still offers that choice to everybody anyway, proving that he's really just. If you just get the picture of that, I think that might explain some things about predestination that a lot of people struggle with. Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 13 says, And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give everyone according to his work. Verse 13, For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The phrase Alpha and Omega is only used four times in the Bible and the book of Revelations here. And in the Hebrew counterpart, like I said before, the first and the last, when it is used to describe God, is only mentioned three times in the book of Isaiah. It's the same phrase. It means the same thing. This indicates to me using biblical number meanings is this, and this is what it symbolizes here. God is moving all things back into unity with himself. How? By preparing an open door, an entryway, called the Alpha and Omega, who is Jesus. God manifests in the flesh to finalize God's true perfection and wholeness and soundness. And this is what Revelations chapter 22 is about. It's the finalization of God's true perfection and wholeness and, and that being sealed inside of his people. Next, his perfect justice will met out according to people's deeds, actions, and thoughts. In other words, you reap what you sow. This fits with the next verse in verse 14 and 15 here, Revelations 22. So Revelation 22 verses 14 and 15 say this, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to, uh, to the tree of life and may enter through the gates to the city. Verse 15, But outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexual immoral, murderers, adulterers, and whoever loves and practices a lie. The Bible is clear from Revelation chapter 21, 4, There will be no more sin or death allowed in the new heavens and earth and the new Jerusalem. So what is verse 15 all about? About on the outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral, adulterers, and practice a lie. Who are those folks, okay? First off, the vast majority of Bible scholars and commentaries like Muncie, Utley, Gusick, Cambridge, etc., so forth, and some other newer ones out there, all point out that this does not mean there are sinners in the new heavens and earth. Rather, these folks are in the lake of fire right now. This verse is used as a final warning for those before the new heaven and earth appear to get it right with God through Jesus' work on the cross. 
a lot of commentaries i don't have time to go through all of them right, stress that these are the folks that are going to be in the lake of fire with that folks let's look at revelations 22 verse 16 and it says i jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches well folks in this verse it is obvious that jesus is speaking about the seven churches mentioned in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of revelation where all seven are called to overcome so this begs the question how do they overcome the answer builds off of revelations chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 where it mentions the need to pay attention to biblical prophetic patterns seen from the past the current now so they know what to overcome in the future for five of the churches it is called apostasy a falling away are being distracted that's what they have to overcome for example the church at sardis was not even watching for jesus return did you know that pergamum was far more interested in bringing the occult into the church than staying true to jesus ephesus was too busy exchanging their first love for god to be right at all cost to show how they loved jesus thyatira was more interested in the words of false prophets teaching how to take over the world than to staying true with jesus they were totally distracted and later the sea was so distracted being more interested in doing nothing but were more interested in think and grow rich rather than discern the times that they were witnessing in other words five of the churches were so distracted they were not paying attention to jesus return two were paying attention the message to the seven churches here is simple you learn to discern the times by examining the deepness of bible prophecy especially the book of revelations as this helps the churches to repent stay on track so they can overcome by staying true to jesus in other words it means pay attention folks wake up and prepare how do you prepare you obey the lord so here is a question how is your church doing in that area and folks, the next half of Revelations 22, verse 16 says this, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. I'm reading out of the New King James here. Folks, there are three main meanings here being expressed by the phrase, uh, the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Well, first phrase is, I'm the root and descendant of David. is a messianic term that the Messiah will simply come from King David's line. This is especially found in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 16, uh, Matthew chapter 1, 1, and so many other verses there. The second phrase, bright and morning star, also symbolizes a new era dawning, marked by the Messiah ushering in first a new covenant that prepares for a brand new era that will be free of all oppression, to be had sometime in the future jeremiah chapter 31 31 talks about it numbers 24 17 talks about it second peter chapter 1 verse 19 talks about it and matthew chapter 2 2 all express what i'm talking about here thirdly this phrase is also a prophetic swipe at the shining one lucifer the devil mentioned in isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 who thinks he is the morning star son of the morning who will destroy God's ways and design to bring forth this new shining golden dawn of Luciferian illumination and light to everyone. Well, folks, the hallmark of Luciferianism is enlightenment, independence, human progression to a better world. Through occultism, use of symbolism, a ceremonial magic, rituals, and contacting spirit guides to reach a higher, more enlightened consciousness, 
achieved by gaining secret wisdom and knowledge that helps overthrow God's order and creative design so they can build it back better after they destroy it. In their world, there's no gender. It's all top-down tyranny. It's pretty much what you see uh, now with cancel culture and the silencing of free speech. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus calling himself the bright morning star is also a shout of victory. He defeated the devil and all his minions and all the Luciferian elites from achieving their dawning of their new golden day of oppressive dictatorship. This is also a symbol for the true Messiah who defeats the devil by means of humility as first the suffering servant that is seen in Isaiah chapter 53, which is summed up by Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 that says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This refers to the cross, okay? This sets the stage for Jesus to return, to defeat the devil and his champion, the Antichrist, and all his minions once and for all. Then he makes all things new, free from evil, and all its wacky control freakishness is done away with forever, just as the Bible teaches here what we're reading about now in the last chapter of the book of Revelations. With that, Revelations chapter 22, verse 17, explains how all this will come about, how Jesus will will bring this about here. I bet you didn't know that. So let's look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, let him who thirsts, come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. This is speaking of salvation. This is about bringing people into the kingdom of God. So the seven churches need to get together to overcome by getting people to come to Jesus. This is what this verse is saying. You see, Jesus redeemed and restored us back to himself. Jesus is called the king of all the earth, just as Psalms 47 reveals. We who are redeemed and saved will be helping him manage the new heavens and earth as was originally designed before the fall. Just as it is written in Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 where it says out of the New King James, You shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Folks, the earth does not belong to the devil. The devil is a narcissistic rebel of tyranny and control freakishness, and God proves that. With that, folks, the last 50th jubilee begins, the new era when the earth is returned to its original owners, all debts are wiped clean, the land rests in the new heavens and earth, Jesus is now the light of the world, uh, providing true wisdom and godly knowledge, not the devil. Think about it. Next, Revelations 22, verses 18 and 19 concerns the warnings not to add or take away from the words of the book of Revelation. If someone does, they will eternally suffer grievously forever, just as it is written in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. I'm reading out of the New King James. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. Verse 19. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. So folks, what does all this mean? Well, let's unpack this. First off, the book of Revelation is not sealed. Therefore, it contains a dire warnings for those who will tamper with it. That proves that God is alive and he means business. This is a warning not to add one's ego or doctrines and so forth, etc. into the text. 
In fact, if this warning was not there, the book of Revelation by now would be around 60,000 plus pages long, with all the flakes out there adding to it. You see, adding or subtracting refers to a common practice of false teachers and cults that remove what exposes them and adds in things that supports their doctrines and their strange doctrines of demons. For example, Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, began altering the book of Revelation, but he never finished. And the question is, why did he not finish altering the book of Revelation? Well, he was killed by fellow Mormons who, tired of his crooked money schemes and pedophilia for young girls that are ages between 12 and 15 years old. And folks, he lost it all. I can mention other cult leaders who have done similar, like Jim Jones, David Koresh, and many others over the centuries, all died tampering with the book of Revelations, adding and subtracting their wacky ideas into it. But folks, this does not refer to expositors and those seeking to unpack the meanings of this book. If that were the case, then Dr. David Jeremiah, David Reagan, and many others uh, would be in big trouble. Anybody speaking or teaching from the book of Revelation would be in danger of this. In fact, in the book of Revelations, we are called to exercise wisdom deciphering the number 666, as well as called to reading and explore every details about Bible prophecy in the book of Revelation. This means that we are called to connect the dots with other parts of the Bible in order to stay on track and check ourselves, because Bible interprets Bible. Therefore, this warning does not refer to those who teach or extrapolate from the book of Revelation. In fact, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 says this out of the New King James. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. And folks, we are called to search out matters, especially in Bible prophecy. Think of it like this, folks. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, right? Thus, when one's findings in the book of Revelation point to Jesus Christ as God manifest in human flesh, as the Lord of all, author of creation, who defeats all the works of the evil one, the devil here, then rest assured, you are on the right track. And if not, you got to run to the door. So with that, let's continue with the last two verses of the book of, of Revelations here. In chapter 22, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Jesus is saying, Surely I am coming quickly. Remember what I talked about that? That means swift and suddenly, just like Jesus says. He's coming at an hour you least expect. That means he's coming suddenly and swiftly. That's what the word quickly means. Bible interprets Bible. So therefore, we're called to watch, pray, connect the dots, and look up for our redemption draw nigh. We are to explore Bible prophecy, and by exploring Bible prophecy, especially the book of Revelation, we'll stay on track, and we'll know what to do. That's how you overcome. So with that, let's look at the last phrase in verse 20 and 21. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, and the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So with that, let me just wrap it up and, and say a couple of things. I want to get back to what I talked about. Heaven was to teach people how to be blessed by learning how to love God with all their heart, strength, and soul. Because he's worthy. And when I saw the Lord and, uh, and all the things that I saw up in heaven, oh, he is worthy and alone worthy. Do you realize all the things he did for you? I mean, he gave you a gift of life. And we are the ones who screwed it up. 
when you realize that we are the ones who are making the evil in the world, not God. You can't get mad at God for allowing it either, or permitting it, as I would say. He's slow to anger. He, his love is beyond anything I can comprehend totally at all. I mean, he loves the sinner, but he's still reaching to the sinner, knowing that the sinner is going to reject him and go to hell. He still loves and offers and knocks on their door. And you call God unjust for knocking on your door to remind you where you're headed to the lake of fire? You know, here's Jesus. You heard me say this before, real briefly right now, just really briefly right now. Judas betrayed Jesus. There were people plotting and scheming to get rid of him. So i got to ask you, who have you plotted against to scheme against to get rid of them? Christians, maybe? Um, let's see. Uh, someone you didn't like? Uh, have you ever betrayed anybody um, in your life? Uh, let's see. Jesus was abandoned in the garden by his friends. Have you abandoned your friends before? Do you think you're so squeaky clean? Out of total fear, you ran away. And, and, and how about denying your friend multiple times so you can get out of a jam and you lied? Hmm? How many people have you neglected, abandoned, rejected? Jesus was constantly rejected. How many people have you rejected? How many times you put somebody on trial in your mind? They're guilty and you're justified. This is what iniquity and sin is in the heart, folks. Jesus exposed it in that 24 hours just before the cross. Okay? He exposed. And he allowed that to be imputed upon him. That's how the sins of the world were imputed upon Jesus. God is without sin. The only way you can do it is according to the law. And through the law, the high priest and the population there will lay their hands on, on the sin sacrifice and impute the sin by speaking over it. So they bore false witness against Jesus. How many of you bore false witness against other people? Why? How many of you are, uh, wanted to see God perform or do some great act for you and, you and you demand God to do this and that or you won't believe? Well, Herod did that. What about other people? And you beat with your words, your fist or whatever. You mock. You shoot the lip up at. Uh, you turn your back on. They did that to Jesus. Who have you done it to? You think you're so squeaky clean? You don't even know the power of the cross, do you? How it exposes what we're really like on the inside, does it? All our little excuses that, oh, I'm so squeaky clean. I'm such a nice guy. Well, who have you betrayed, abandoned, who lied against, who do you demand to perform or you wouldn't believe? If, 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 if God would do it your way, then you would believe. Yeah, that's, you're no different than Herod. You're no different than the people who had put Jesus on the cross. You were right there with them, shouting, crucify, crucify. All goodness. How dare he tells me not to live a sorcery life, not to live my life like a dog. Uh, that sexual immorality and gender flipping is, is, is moral. How dare you? How dare God say that's restrictive? Oh, yeah. So you want to take people's rights away, divide up their clothes and spread them around like they did Jesus's, right? Yeah, for equality's sake. Yeah, you're a real humdinger, aren't you? Your heart is just as wicked as anything else I've ever seen in my life. Because you haven't heard the power of the gospel. You heard some watered-down gospel, but you haven't heard what the gospel is about. It exposes what's inside your heart. Okay? And then, how many people have you crucified in your heart and mind? How many lies have you told? Okay? And this is, what, this is how God responded. He let himself go on the cross. 
and he nailed him to the cross, suspended between God and man. This is where, 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 where Jesus faced that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me moment? And it's like, like God saying, look, you divide my garments, you hate me, you put me to death. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now let that sink in for a second, folks. Let it really sink in. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now you do. So what do you do about it? You come through the cross and say, Lord, I'm a wretch. I've done all those things. Guilty as charged. Free me. I fall on my face. Forgive me. I need new life. I need living water. I need living water. I can't change. I'm a wretch. And then let the Lord make you born again. And then you owe him your life and you give it freely to him. That's called getting saved. It's called becoming born again. You can do the sinner's prayer or the real sinner's prayer. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, Lord. And just pour out your heart before God. That's all I can say to do. So don't sit there and say that God's unfair. He does that and he killed these people and did that. You don't know God or his character. Somebody who loved you so much to die on a cross to wake you up how wicked you are. And you're sitting there thumping your chest saying, no, I'm not. And you just proved you did. So what's your choice now? Have mercy on me, Lord. And because the Lord said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then they put Jesus in a tomb to try to silence him. So I'm going to ask you, who are you putting in a tomb and trying to silence and bury him? Got news for you. Jesus rose from the third day. And with that, our salvation was sealed. And we become born again through the resurrection power of Christ. Are you hearing me? So maybe you've been buried and you feel like you're dead and you need some resurrection. But also, Christians, there's going to come a day all this silencing and cancel culture stuff ends. There are going to be a new heavens and earth. And others of you don't even believe that, oh, what do you got? You got a tomb you're not going to get out of. You're going to live in hell the rest of your eternity and swimming laps in the lake of fire because you're too proud to simply say, I have betrayed, abandoned, neglected, hurt people, accused God wrongly. Here's a God who allowed himself to be beaten, be mocked, put on trial. Here's God manifested in the flesh showing, Jesus says, he who's seen me has seen the Father. This is what God did for us. He provided the saving work of sacrifice on the cross to say those words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Now you do. What are you going to do about it? Just come to Christ and say, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, and pray before Almighty God. With that, I will ask you to be blessed in Jesus' name. And those of you who pray, just pray to yourself quietly and get right with Jesus. Amen. So with that, folks, we conclude with the Revelation study of chapter 22. Rather long, but I made it a little longer. It's just we want to get through this. I will go back in some future episodes here. We're going to look at some more Bible prophecy. We'll probably some things I missed in the book of Revelation. Did not have time to get extrapolate from as well as tied into some other prophetic books as well and if you need to contact me or help support me which is very uh, in these dire times it'd be very nice right now if you could just look at the screen or right now you'll see my contact information on there 
my gmail address is there how to contact me paypal account information how to contact uh, support me is on there my book titles there you can look it up online and order it as well about my after-death experience and also if you're listening on the daily renegade too please become a member today of the daily renegade because there will come a time when platforms will be shut off they'll shut off youtube platforms and other type of plat social media platforms to christians in due time we'll have some websites before they shut those down and uh but we need to still be able to connect with each other so you have uh, so i just recommend joining the daily renegade today just go online there dailyrenegade.com look that up and become a member today you guys be blessed in jesus name